where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Thank you to Ryan Treasure, who is our engineer this morning. He's the VP of Broadcast Operations at Voice America and a wonderful voice. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Ryan. I feel so heavy with responsibility taking us into the future of now. I've never said that on the show before. We have got a really interesting topic for you. And instead of a usual monologue where I start, I have five quotes that will set us up. So before I tell you the topic, and before I introduce my panel of four very, very smart, savvy, interesting, and passionate guests on our topic, let me give you a couple of of hints here. Buzz number one. This is a quote from Charlie Yardbird Parker, who lived from 1920 to 1955, an American jazz saxophonist, band leader and composer. And the quote is, music is your own experience, your thoughts, your wisdom. If you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. And he was a saxophonist. Here's a quote from, oh my goodness, Billy Joel, American musician, singer, songwriter, composer, nicknamed Piano Man, one of the best-selling music artists of all times. And he said, musicians want to be the loud voice for so many quiet hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. Quoting my, my guess, are, the, the Yiddish word is kvelling. Yes, with, with a pride and feeling about this. Buzz number three is from Michael Jackson. Oh, left us too soon. 1958 to 2009. Singer, songwriter, dancer, king of pop. He was the most awarded music artist in history. And he said, people ask me how I make music. I tell them I just step into it. It's like stepping into a river and joining the flow. Every moment in the river has its song. That is beautiful. I wish he had put that into the lyric of a song. Here's buzz number four from Kenny Rogers. We all remember him, 1938-2020, singer, songwriter, musician, actor, record producer, and entrepreneur. And he said, I've always said music should make you laugh, make you cry, or make you think. And one more quote. This one is from Eddie Van Halen, who passed away last year. Musician, songwriter, co-founder of the rock band Van Halen, one of the greatest all-time guitar players in rock history. And he said, music kept me off the streets and out of trouble and gave me something that was mine that no one could take away from me. So if you haven't guessed, our topic is the future of music, music technology, and music education, music educators. How do we share our knowledge, our passion, our love of music with young people or who people who aren't young anymore who want to embrace making music and loving music? I will ask my panelists to wave when I call your name. We have Serge Hoffman. Serge, wave hello. He's got a beautiful pink light in his background. We've got Dr. George Vinay with his lime green iridescent shirt there. I think it, no, it's Dayglow. There you go, George. We have Rebecca Armstrong in beautiful teal. Hello, Rebecca. And we have Jessica. She said I could call her Jess. Jess Barron. We've had so many emails. We're good friends by now. On the future of music education, musicians, and music tech. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie in the house. We are broadcasting live on Restream on LinkedIn and Facebook. Panelists, please wave hello to our audiences who are watching us on live stream. It's so exciting. So let's go around the table. And I will confess that I met Serge and George on one of my recent Monday night shows, which I do under a different name. I'm aka Radio Red. And the show is 
Create, uh, it's Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives with AK Radio Red. And I was so impressed by both of them. I invited them back. And along the way, Vincent from KeepMusicAlive.org, who was on that show, and his wife, Joanne, referred us to Rebecca and to Jess. So now we're a family. Here we are. Let's go around the table. Three-minute introductions. Tell us what you do and what's your passion for music. Serge Hoffman, welcome. Please talk to us. Introduce yourself. My name is Serge, and I'm a music composer, uh, amateur, working in the software industry, and I'm passionate about music. I have a SoundCloud with more than 76 tracks, and I'm really happy to be here today with all of you in the show. Serge, you have to tell everybody that you're a self-taught musician, that you have friends who went on to become professionals, that you work in the software industry, that this is not your job, and that you are producing music for what? For movies, for events? Serge, come on. I don't want to give your bio. Give us a little more. Schmaltz yeah, yeah. it up. Go ahead. So, yeah, I was not aware of the length. So, so uh, yes, so I'm, I'm using music as a communication vehicle. And the fact that we are all here today is the, the, to show that it works, right? And and um, I really like music. I, I taught myself a lot. I learned a lot uh, by myself and also with the support of, of great people. And I managed to uh, get in touch with a lot of great audience through TEDx conferences, working with the Cirque du Soleil as well, working with a lot of very famous uh, directors and also for films, added original score uh, sound. Um, soundtrack for, for films uh, feature and um, yeah so so I'm very happy to be here with you and, and share my passion uh, about music composition and and the way that uh, I get inspiration and how I transfer those inspiration into uh, real music. Thank you Serge now we know who you really are and you express that passion so beautifully and y- your career in music is very impressive so thank you for joining us let's go to our next guest Dr. George Vinay. George Always an interesting gentleman. George is in the habit of writing very, very long, gorgeous emails that belong in an anthology of prose and poetry and beautiful thoughts. He's generous and complimentary and very clever and creative. And George, I love the shirt. George, introduce yourself. (laughs) Sorry for that big preamble, but you, you earned that one. George, introduce yourself to my audience, please. Go ahead. Well, hello, everyone. And it's very nice to join you, Bonnie, and uh, our beloved guests and all the listeners. Uh, I am a private practice psychotherapist in Pasadena, California. I've worked for over 20 years with uh, historically underprivileged youth and families. And I have become very aware over the years and since I do storytelling and magic, I come from a long tradition of sort of performance and entertainment. And doing school assemblies, as well as working with youth in therapy, it's become very clear to me how much music and the original source of music being the muses, uh, when one cares for the muses and serves music, a youth's soul becomes cultured and civilized and tempered and moral and inspired and creative, all of it. So, my calling is to care for and witness individuals, both in private practice as well as youth and families that I work with, and whenever I'm storytelling, uh, to awaken that connection to the muses. 
Thank you, George. Very, very beautifully put. And I'm looking forward. And I've seen some videos of you speaking to classrooms of kids. It looked like they were eight or 10 years old. And you are beating on a drum and you're telling stories and you're getting them to respond with with a shout out or with a word. And at one point you faked hitting the drum and everybody took the cue, thought you were going to, and they chimed in. And it's a joyful experience watching you teach creativity and imagination. So thank you very much, George. Let's go to a newcomer to me, Rebecca Armstrong. We're so delighted to have you. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? Don't rush. Take about three minutes. Who are you? What do you do? And what's your passion for music and music education? Rebecca. Bonnie, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I love talking about music. Um, I'm a Chicagoan born and bred, and I was born into a folk music family. My parents, George and Jerry Armstrong, were founding members of the Old Town School of Folk Music, which is considered the premier institution, you know, preserving and protecting folk music in the United States. So we were a little Von Trapp family. We sang, we performed, I learned how to play guitar, banjo, dulcimer, bowed psaltery, the folk instruments when I was a little child. And... uh, So the Old Town School of Folk Music was a second home. I I would go there, I would perform. Later, I became a student there. I also became a teacher there. And this really set me up to observe and experience the world from a very particular kind of demographic. When you identify with the folk, it's a very particular viewpoint on the world. Now, uh, in my 30s, I I did kind of an abrupt shift. I had been making my living as a folk singer and storyteller for 30 years, which is hard to do. But I had been fortunate enough to discover an organization in Chicago called Urban Gateways, which is an arts and education agency that was putting performing artists in the schools. Um, I think Jessica is aware of of this organization, too, being an old Chicagoan. And we were very acutely aware of the role we were playing in preserving very valuable oral traditions in Chicago. The organization had been founded by some African-American mothers who lamented that their children on the west side of Chicago had never even been downtown, had never been to a live concert, had no access to culture. So Urban Gateways said, we will bring the culture to you. It was, it was a fascinating part of my life experience. But then in my late 30s, I took this shift and became a Unitarian minister. But in fact, that's not as big a leap from being a folk singer as you might think. (laughs) The Unitarians are left of left, right? This is where all the old union organizers hang out when they get the spirit. And so I simply brought all of that music into my ministry and continued to do that as a performer. And so being this music and political and religious person, I've found ways to integrate all of those strands, but the music finds its way into all of it. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I love bringing in something called folk music. 
Who talks about that anymore? Exactly. We talk about techno. Yeah. We talk about, right, Serge? We talk about, about the technology of making music, all the instruments you're able to play through the devices you use. We talk about drums. We talk about disco. At least I do. We talk about Motown and rock and roll. And we talk about, oh, sometimes acapella. But nobody talks about folk music anymore. Bombay is a very good point, but what I didn't tell you last time uh, to you and George is that I learned music with different instruments. The first was the flute like this, then the flute like that, and then the guitar. And the guitar allowed me to learn uh, folk music. I was playing a lot of Neil Young and James Taylor, Simon and Garfunkel, and this is also how I learned English. I didn't learn English at school. I learned English thanks to folk music. And Bob Dylan, <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's introduce Jess. Jess, shall I call you Jess or Jessica? Jess is great. Thank Jess you. is great. You have been back and forth with me. You've introduced me to some people on email. I'm so delighted you're here. And now I'm putting you on speaker view. Tell us your story. What does music, music education mean to you? And what's your passion for music and technology? Jess, go ahead. All right. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's great to be with everybody here. Very wonderful group. And we have so much in common. Gosh, um, my path has been very circuitous and unusual. And I think it's a good story for people who thought they were going to take one path through life and have a career. Didn't work that way for me, for sure. Um, music is my life. It totally is. My music and family are it for me. And my work currently, and I'll back it up, my work currently is that I founded an organization called Guitars and Ukes in the Classroom. It used to be just Guitars in the Classroom, and in 2015, um, thanks to some sponsor support, we got to add ukuleles, and that just lit classrooms all up because it's such a small instrument and so unintimidating, and total beginners are just, they pick it up quickly. So anyway, so Guitars in the Classroom is a whole other thing, but my story starts in early childhood, I was one of those kids that got born with a musical ear. I was plunking around on the piano by two. I was writing songs when I was very little. I started on the guitar just before age seven. And fast forward through being a musical teen and all of that and starting to teach guitar in high school, I wound up teaching at the Old Town School when I was in my very early 20s. And so those are the hallowed halls of folk music, not just for Chicago but the old building, which is no longer a part of the institution, my soul is in those wooden walls. And I don't know who is there if they're raised now, but that there was a big hootenanny hall and we would teach the classes and then get all the classes together, right, Rebecca? All the classes would come together in that hall at the end of the evening or the afternoon with every single person with an instrument and we would all sing and play together. And the instructors, we'd get up on the stage to song lead and I will tell you that was a total springboard for the work that I founded and do now, which is reaching teachers in 38 states around the country. I've also been to Canada to train teachers. I'm teaching up there again next month for the Manitoba Guitar Festival. So this, it, it's ubiquitous, right? And my background started in behavioral disabilities, actually started in communications, went sideways to my true passion, behavioral disabilities, working with kids with exceptionalities, um, into clinical psychology and training as an MFT, working with kids actually, and not too far from you, George, because um, I did my training at Antioch, uh, Los Angeles, and was counseling kids in the public school system in Hollywood, if you can imagine that. We're not talking glamorous, we're talking foster care, right? We're talking about kids whose parents are living on the street or in cars. 
So um, all of that fast forwarded to move to San Diego with this organization that I started in Santa Cruz. And it just goes on and on. You live long enough and you have a very long story to tell. <laughs> Thank you very much. Amen to that. I'm on my seventh career, Jessica. So, yeah. And I was very shy growing up, I think. But I did play the piano at my sixth grade graduation and I sewed my own dress. So I know, somewhere along the line, broadcasting bit me after a long career as a computer programmer analyst. I'm considered an early woman in tech, which was a shock to me because I didn't find that out until 2020. But I did want to share with you, Jess, a really quick story about a ukulele. When my dad passed away in 1995, he had all kinds of things in the attic of the family house. And we discovered a C.F. Martin ukulele in a cloth case with a zipper. Wow. And I was starting to sell things on eBay. And my mom said, why don't you sell the ukulele? So I took some pictures and put it on eBay and people started bidding on it. And somebody said to me, what's the condition of the back? What did I know about a ukulele? I had played the piano, classical piano, but I never played it. I took George, uh, Serge, I played flute in the, in the class band in, in junior high school, which is now called middle school. So many changes. So I took a look at the ukulele and I took pictures. I discovered, OMG, there were cracks, fine cracks in the wood on the back. So I put a disclaimer on my pictures on eBay and I said, hey, uh, I'm sorry, but I missed this. There is some damage over the years. I was 50 years old at this point. And a man named Yuke Jackson based in Hawaii said to me, I'll give you 50 bucks for the ukulele because it's still a CF Martin. And I said, no, thank you. I put the disclaimer on the, and the new pictures on. And a man who called himself a mountain man in Scandinavia who only came in to a building with Wi-Fi once a month found me on eBay and he said, I want to buy your dad's ukulele. I packed it. My heart was thumping. I was in tears. I packed it up in a box that was about four feet tall by three feet wide. The bubble wrap must have cost a hundred bucks. Packed it box in box and shipped it to him. It was Sweden, I think. And uh, it was just a tender moment for me partying with my, and he paid good money for it. And he wrote, he wrote to me on eBay through the eBay email uh, about three weeks later. And he said, I received your CF Martin ukulele. It still makes beautiful music. Thank you for sharing it with me sincerely. And his name was Olaf or something like that. And I read the note to my mom and we cried. It was Talk about a moment in music where you've passed something along instead of saying, oh, it's broken, I'm throwing it out, right? Didn't do that. So that's my ukulele story. Jess, any quick comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. What you did is so heartfelt and so important. And what we call it at Guitars in the Classroom is a legacy. So we have a legacy program where we pass instruments on from the person who is done with it or is bequeathing it to the family or to the recipient usually a deserving student who can't afford an instrument with the story of the instrument and the person who's giving it can make a video or we will write their story so that the person gets the whole thing when they receive it and that legacy of that person goes on with the instrument right it's so important they're not just objects no they're not so thank you very much and by the way Bonnie? i move my yes you know George. just to, to chime in yeah, using please. a metaphorical uh, yeah. musical metaphor. Sure. Um, I'm very moved by both Rebecca's uh, twists and turns. I know yours is Serge and of course, Bonnie at this point. Uh, all the twists and turns, I want to start with uh, thinking about the movie The Red Violin. I don't know if you ever saw it, 
but it's a lovely movie talking about centuries-long journey of a red violin that has a beautiful and mysterious history. And in my world, there is this notion of the anima mundi or the soul of the world. Not only do we have our psyche or soul, but the world does too, and objects do too. So the object has its biography. And so the way you're describing, Jess, that there is this journey to mm. help children understand the legacy and care for the soul, spirit, however you want to put it, of the violin or an instrument or ukulele, all of that. And I want to add as well, the twists and turns of each of our biographies makes me think of Steve Jobs when he talks about you can't see sort of which way your life is going looking forward. But when you look back, you see how the dots connect. Right. And how they all seem almost divinely inspired. I mean, like meant to be. And yes. there is, uh, uh, it's always been very moving to watch somebody's biography and see how, as Jung says, the right way to wholeness <laughs> is through fateful detours and wrong turnings. Oh, beautiful. Love that. And by the way, I tripped on a, a thread from a rug in my living room last week and I went down with a thud. I'm fine. <laughs> At the moment right. I went down, a little music box in the shape of a piano, it's a little glass piano, plastic, but clear, that was my mom. My mom played the piano from the age of 10. She could play any song, any, you, Serge, you would have hummed a tune for her from a Broadway show or a movie. She would have sat down, full keyboard, and filled the room with music no matter what it was. She just knew how to play. And I have her baby grand piano here with me in, in my home in North Carolina. But as I hit the floor, I hit the, the stand underneath the TV. Thank God I didn't crack my head. But the little music box was there on the corner. It fell off the shelf, opened up on the floor. And I swear, as, I'm, as I fell and I said, am I okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I heard the song. You light up my life playing out of the music box. And it was from my, my mom. <laughs> she Thanks, passed mom. away four years ago. And I thought, wow, I, I don't even have to tell you. There, there's, there's no postscript on that story. Let's just leave it. Let's move on. The format of the show required all of you to send me a quote from a movie or a song or a TV character fictional. Nothing to do with our topic. We'll see about that. And in your own words, let's make this quick because I want to get to the predictions. Serge Hoffman sent me a quote from the song Angie by the rock band. The Rolling Stones featured on their 1973 album Goat's Head Soup. That sounds delicious. Also featured as the lead on the album Lead single on the album released in August of 1973. Here's the line. With no loving in our souls and no money in our coats, you can't say we're satisfied. Serge, take about two minutes to tell me, what in the world does this have to do with our topic? You're up. Go ahead. So uh, on one hand, I think it's we have to go back to real instruments. And when I mean real instruments, so technology is very nice, but real instruments like guitars that we have talked or piano uh, are really important. And I don't think that you can do good music um, if you don't know how to use those instruments, which are the inputs of anything you do with technology. And the reason I've picked this, this song is that for me, it's one of the most beautiful songs um, of the Rolling Stones. And I wanted also to pay tribute to uh, Charlie Watts, who disappeared a couple of days ago. And it's a big event for Stone fans, right? Unfortunately. And, but thanks to this song, um, 
I discovered something that you as musicians would understand. It is the ninth, uh, uh, the ninth grade of of of, uh, of, a, of a note. You know, in the scale, you have one, two, three, four, five, seven, and ninth, which is uh, something that is not very nice with uh, the first note of of a scale. But when you play the two of them together, it brings a very nice harmony. And I learned that with that song, also with Lady from the Beatles. That's why I wanted to, to mention that here, because there are little tricks like this. With the guitar, it's not that easy, but with piano, it's very easy to add a ninth to, to your chords. And then it brings to your chords an extra dimension, which you can hear in that song, Angie. And it's why I, I kept it here. Thank you very much. Love the story. Appreciate that. Thank you, Serge. George Vinay has sent us a quote from the character Professor John Keating, played by The Left Us Way Too Soon. Very talented, very creative Robin Williams. The movie Dead Poets Society, 1989, American teen drama film. Whenever I read teen drama film for that, I always think, no, they got it wrong. That was a lot bigger than a teen drama. It was a big drama. It had a very important story. Set in 1959 at the fictional elite conservative Vermont boarding school school, Welton Academy. It tells the story of an English teacher, John Keating, who inspires his students through teaching of poetry. And the quote George has selected is, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. George Vinay, talk to me. Two minutes. What you got? My elementary school was in Sugarland, Texas, where the Imperial Pure Cane Refinery was for the state of Texas, and it always smelled like raw uh, brown sugar. In that elementary school, there was a most extraordinary woman who was the music teacher. Her name is Mrs. Gibson. And Mrs. Gibson, just like Robin Williams' character in this movie, had the ability to draw forth and witness each little soul's gifts. Her ability to connect us to music, to allow us to sing. One of the big songs that stays with me is uh, the song Sing by the Carpenters. And if you're familiar with the lyrics, it's just sing, sing out strong, and don't worry if it's not good enough. And over the years, as my psyche ferments, I have realized how much she has produced deeply contributed to the winemaking within me by helping me sing and witness me, witnessing me so personally, as well as all the other children creating a chorus. We traveled to Washington, all sorts of wonderful things happened with her. So the movie came to mind uh, on the topic here because music can change the world. It changed my life through her personal witnessing and every day when we're down and gloomy and uh, the right song seems to suddenly show up on the radio we we know the power of it healing uh, the world and there is a beautiful quote that goes if you bring forth what is within you what is within you will heal you if you don't bring forth what is within you what is within you will destroy you it's from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, but it's such a beautiful thing because creativity must manifest. And one of the most beautiful ways to do that is through lyrical expression, through the creation of a song, through attuning metaphorically to the song that's singing you. Thank and you. if you bring that forth, the world changes in your little touch upon it. 
George, lovely thoughts. I, you're always so inspiring, inspirational. Thank you very much. And such, so your, your grasp of lore and of, of different cultures is very impressive. And it's comforting. You, you're comforting to listen mm. to you. So thank you. The positive, the flow. You're getting me to talk in terms I never use. How dare you, George Vinay? Let's go to Rebecca Armstrong. I sent us a quote from Hal. H-A-L, heuristically programmed, algorithmic computer voiced by Douglas Rain in the movie, of course, 2001, A Space Odyssey, 1968, epic science fiction film, screenplay written by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, inspired by Clarke's 1951 short story, The Sentinel. And let me read you the quote. I hope I can do this correctly. Oh, let me do it. Oh, you do it. it. You do it. Go ahead. Do the quote, please. Stop, Dave. Please. Stop. I'm afraid, Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. My name is Hal. My teacher taught me to sing a song. Would you like to hear it, Dave? Daisy, Daisy. Give me your answer to this chilling moment. This moment in cinema, to me, is the critical juncture of music and technology. Because anyone who remembers that scene in the movie had to be gripped by the pathos of the death of Hal, the 9,000 computer. And what was happening there is so astonishing because we didn't even have the theory, which is now the prevalent theory, that music precedes language in the Homo sapien. And what we have in that cinematic image is almost a an unanticipated look into the future when we're asking the ultimate question, does artificial intelligence have consciousness? Can it feel? And here is the artist suggesting that there will be a moment where our technology challenges us. Because if the computer at its death knell begins to sing the earliest song it remembered, which by the way, is one of the last things to go. When people are dying, they remember the songs. You know, my father on his deathbed was playing the bagpipe music on the coverlet with his fingers. He still remembered all the fingerings of the bagpipe tunes. So to me, this is the ultimate meeting of music, technology, and the future. Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you for doing a rendition of Hal that I could never, I can't, I don't remember the movie, but I appreciate the nuances you put into the voice of Hal and how the Daisy song failed. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer to it. We won't go there. Thank you very much. Jess Barron is next. Jess has sent us lyrics from a song. The song is called Thanksgiving Eve. The songwriter artist is Bob Frank, F-R-A-N. K-E. He was born in July 1947, so he just had a birthday. Bless him. He's an American folk singer-songwriter. There's our folk singing again. Began his career in 1965 while a student at the University of Michigan and performed at The Ark, a coffee house in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And here's the quote. What can you do with your days but work and hope? Let your dreams bind your work to your play. 
What can you do with each moment of your life but love till you've loved it away? Jess, I'm getting goosebumps. I hope I did that okay. I couldn't sing it, but thank you. Talk to me. How'd you pick this one? It's gorgeous. It lives in my heart, and I can tell it lives in Rebecca's too. She knows every word. The two of us could just jump into song right now with it. Bob Frankie, by the way, knows that we're doing this this morning. I sent him the information and uh, because I wanted him to know that that song lives on through me and is coming into a world where people might not know about Bob's music. Uh, So moving on with that quote, but for a comment uh, to all of you, yeah, we're just all aligned on the same page, no question. And I've done a lot of research about the brain and early learning, phonological awareness, all of that. So when you talk about the song being the essence, the beginning, it is. That's where our work starts with what we call those anchor songs, calling forth, especially for teachers who have never played before, calling forth those songs that live in them from when they were three or four or five. And we start their music education with the thing that's solid inside of them. And then we build it. And we create that platform to the child as a beginner with the teacher as a beginner. And it flips that relationship. So music is like, you know, George, yeah, every part of the brain corresponds to every other part of the brain. The whole brain is lighting up with music, right? So if we can get that channel, we can give the kids a source up. They can, they can transcend their lives. They can go into the divine realm. That it's, it's, um, it's a pathway to the things that, build us, restore us, renew us, motivate us, inspire us. And so this idea of preservation that Rebecca's talking about is critical, critical in the culture right this minute. I started tearing up when you did Hal. I mean, that was, yeah, we've got to keep this music alive and we are the stewards of it. And Bonnie, somehow you gathered us. So that quote of mine is really about the fact that you're on a path and what can you do when you're on this path? But do it. It isn't a choice. If you are tapped in and you understand the healing power of music and the need in the culture and the need of children to be filled with something they can use to take care of themselves and to get themselves through all of the twists and the turns and the difficulties in life, then you just have to bind your work to your play because that play, for many of us, it's music that restores our energy so we can keep going no matter what. And it's those two things together that make it so our lives can serve a higher purpose and we can also have fun doing it. Thank you, Jess. Beautiful. I want to thank each of you, all of you, for picking such interesting quotes and sharing your interpretations with us. That's a core part of the show, and you all fulfilled my hopes very, very nicely. Now we're going to dive into our predictions. I put, uh, Jess, I'm putting for you in the chat. For each of you, I selected one of your predictions. You each sent me four. I'll pick and choose where I think we want to go. So I'm going to read the prediction. The first one I picked is from Serge Hoffman, and Serge, I will read it right now. And since I want see if we can get two or three predictions from each of you. Let's keep the remarks really tight. Uh, If any of you has a comment on somebody else's prediction, because this is a lightning round, it's not a discussion round, just raise your hand. Teacher, teacher, call me, call me, and I will call you and make you. But let's keep it really tight because I want to cover the predictions. You all did so much great work on these. So, Serge Hoffman, your prediction number one, you say the frontiers in music types, classic versus pop, etc., will disappear as people get more educated. Serge, Enlighten me. Unpack this, please. Two minutes. Go ahead. 
Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, I wrote that because I really believe in, in this. I think the more you get educated and the more interested you get educated, it's a kind of pool of, of knowledge versus a push, right? And sometimes when you learn music at school, uh, people push music to you. It's not very nice because you're not interested. But when you pull, meaning when you're interested to understand that, what you understand is that somehow, and it links to technology, music is mathematics. Apart from the emotion part that we have talked before, okay, there's a lot of mathematics understanding of, of scales that I was mentioning earlier and harmony and tones, okay? And now I'm, I'm more and more going into uh, arrangements, harmony, writing for orchestra, which is one of my big projects to write for a whole orchestra. And you see that, you see, you hear the, the, the movie, the, the music in the movies now, you have composers like Hans Zimmer and so on, they work with large orchestra or even uh, Two Steps from Hell. They compose on the synthesizer, then it plays with orchestra, which means that um, once you have understood the basic rules of how you create harmony, how you create an evolution, depending on the emotions you want to convey, sad or happy or joy or strength, whatever, right? Uh, you write it and then you use the same rules that Mozart or Bach were using a couple of hundreds of years ago, which means that you, you create an harmony, then you create a tension, then you create a resolution. And then the rules that you, you use to, to create that to create chords are the same rules that we use in folk songs, that we use in, on, on piano, that we use in electronic pops, whatever, uh, to create those harmony. So I think really think that there's a meta uh, uh, rules above the harmony, which is the same for all type of music, which is basically uh, intervals between notes, which creates chords and then progressions of harmony, which is the same for all, all type of music. And this, uh, what I wrote is that when people understand that, and I see you nodding, so meaning that you understand Jess and Rebecca, you see what I mean is that uh, it's the same rules. And uh, once you get this education, you understand those music and you say there's no frontier between classical pop music, modern jazz, folk and whatever. Thank you very much. Rebecca, talk to me. Um, Building on what Serge said, there is a certain analogy that can be made between music and cooking, which is that there are rules that undergird the interaction of those elements. And what technology has done for the future of music is to make those kinds of hybridizations and integrations and overlappings more prevalent and more possible. If you think of Afro-Celtic pop, or the Bagpipe Symphony, the Tabla Concerto, both of which I've re-listened to recently, these kinds of unexpected integrations of instrumentation and cultures, this is one of the ways that technology can really help us move music into the future in a global way. Thank you. And I'm going to add that I watch a lot of detective shows, some of them Israeli with overdubs of, uh, of English speaking. Some of them are French with uh, subtitles because my French is no longer as good as it used to be. And I've taken to listening to the tone of the background music surge. And I know whether something bad or good or possible is going to happen in that scene. As soon as I hear them, I'm listening now for the cues. And I know that that music is added after the scenes have been shot so that the, the musician can compose according to, but if I hear, duh, 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 well, that's Jaws. But yeah. I, I know something, uh-oh, something's going to happen. Oh, that person in the window isn't just watching. They're filming this. Anyway, I, it's, it's very interesting in terms of emotion and predicting scene tone and outcome. Let's go to, I want to get these in. George Vinay sent us this prediction number one. He says, music education will be updated 
and adopted to the 21st century by using tech platforms that children are used to. In order to maintain interest, engage and teach music appreciation, music composition and theory, and music creation. Talk to us about those platforms. George, you're up. Well, like like uh, the task of an advertiser is to see who is using the product and then create imagination that speaks to that user. And so uh, seeing where technology is taking children and youth and what they're spending their time with, I think creative spirits guiding the implementation of music are looking into ways to speak that language that is naturally uh, rising in uh, the current time. So uh, whether it's implementing the use of tablets in schools, uh, using programs that incorporate music and reading, these kinds of things. I saw a, an ad on Facebook the other day that was for a, a thing called Music Jotter, where mm. you could compose your music and it would play the music as you go back uh, to you and, and help you write it instead of handwriting. And I thought, well, here's an example of how technology keeps finding new ways to bring music alive and enable youth to learn and become creative through these technologies. Thank you very much, George. Appreciate that. Let's go to a prediction from Rebecca Armstrong. She predicts at least one private elementary school in the U.S. It's not the Felton Academy because that's that was fictitious. We'll place music at the core of its, I think that was Welton, Welton. At least one private elementary school in the U.S. will place music at the core of its curriculum and use music education as the bridge to teach humanities, history, aesthetics, communications, creativity, collaboration, cultural literacy, and science. I think we've got a marriage of STEM and culture here. Information, technology, math, media, programming, and digital literacy. Rebecca, two minutes. Unpack, please. Okay. Well, my fascination, of course, with education has led me to this very hopeful prediction that because we have so much uh, data and research now that supports what Jessica and George and Serge have all been saying, that music does something to the brain, right? When jazz musicians improvise, the entire brain gets lit up. It's the one activity that is programmed to ignite all of you. So some wise educators are going to figure out that because music has this capacity, the intelligent thing is to use a curriculum which puts the child in touch with that vehicle. So it becomes not just an end product. It's not just band practice. Music as the core language, as the pre-linguistic communication tool of Homo sapiens, becomes the platform for learning everything else. That's my hopeful prediction. Thank you very much. I like hopeful predictions. We like that a lot. Uh, let's see, Jessica, Jess, here's prediction number three, and I'm going to put another round in the chat for all of you while Jess is talking. Technology, this is number three, technology will be developed that makes it possible for more individuals to learn to make music in the digital space using electronic instruments, educational and production software, and further iterations of music engineering and apps. Jess, talk to us. So the pandemic was a game changer in music education, and we train educators and work in classrooms. So I was hearing about the difficulties of teaching music online every day, and I was doing it myself. So the um, latency problem with trying to make music in a group 
made it difficult for kids to have that bonding experience. And I had to come up with ways to get them to let go of the need for perfection so they could hear each other, even if their beats were like, I had to like rely on the idea of the Indian alap, which is, if you know, uh, classical Indian music is the beginning where there is not a tempo and the artist is introducing the rag. Um, and uh, quick diversion back to Rebecca, watch Anushka Shankar because her father, Ravi Shankar, Ravi Ji, brought together East and West music early, early and did live orchestral stuff with classical Indian. Then he trained Anushka, his another protege who's amazing to listen to, Kartik Sishadri, who teaches at UCSD. But Anushka's carrying that fusion idea forward. If we look at the artists, people like Rai Cooter, right, who's worked with Cuban musicians, Hawaiian musicians, roots people from other cultures, look to the artists for that leadership fusion because that will lead our ears and the technology can complement that and manifest that. Um, but back to my quote, we have to create a way to teach online in the digital space because the pandemic is not going away. We have lots of variants besides Delta interfering. Schools we're serving in around the South, our sh schools are shutting down. I just heard yesterday of a school in Texas where 50% of the faculty tested positive for COVID. So we have to be able to teach music in the digital space. And what the pandemic did to band and orchestra was terrible, especially woodwinds. We're going into San Francisco Unified now with ukulele because the kids can't play brass and woodwind because they're explosive and there's an aerosol spray. So the science is following uh, this pattern now of greater complexity and technology has to solve the problem. There's no question. Um, Time is an organization I just want to mention to all of you who are interested. It's technology and music education. They've been training music educators for years and years in these platforms and tools for using tech to use music live with technology and work with music in the digital space. So they know so much. You could check them out online. Um, but we are going to become more inclusive of different ways of doing this, but we've got to create that community experience somehow. Thank you very much, Jess. And we've just completed round one of predictions. We've got eight minutes left to the show, and I think we can squeeze in one more for each of you. So let's keep it really tight. I'm very intrigued with what you're all seeing in the crystal ball. Serge Hoffman, prediction number four, short and sweet. Time is critical for a track, but music is timeless. Serge, predict, what is this? Yeah, I think the question was about time and this is what, what came to my mind. So on one hand, you all know that uh, in, when you compose a music or you play music in order that uh, it works with all instruments or with all the people you're, you're playing with, it has to be on time, on cue, with a specific measure, uh, writing, but it has to be really precise. And what technology uh, offers you is that you can uh, master the time. You can open it, you can change, you can edit, you can uh, rebuild the time to make sure that each of your instruments will be on time at the place where you want because you can change them. Even in audio, you can uh, cut uh, an audio file where you sing or you play the guitar and, and put it at the place you really need and you really want. So in music, for, for a, a, so a song or a track, as I said, time, uh, time is critical to be on, on, on place, right? To be efficient and to be nice. But music as a whole is timeless in a sense that you can do whatever age you have, whatever time. And, and the example you, you brought, Rebecca, uh, about the memories that your father had with his fingers shows that it is in our brain how to play. And when you put your finger on the guitar or on a keyboard, your 
body, your fingers, your brain knows where to put them and you don't have to think about it. It's like you drive a car. It's unconscious and you can focus on, on playing, singing or whatever. But um, this is why I said it's timeless. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go to George Vinay's prediction number four. You say music education, as well as other branches of arts and humanities, will develop programs that assist students in developing their imagination and emotional intelligence through ideas and experiences that create character, courage, ethics, and the ability to relate to others and the world with respect, consideration, compassion, empathy, courtesy, and love. I wish you were last because I would have closed the show with this, George. This is very powerful. George, take two minutes. I'm looking at the clock here. We're tight. Talk to me. Um, I want to say very quickly, perhaps at the end, if I could have maybe 30 seconds, because there's something I very much want to say outside of this towards the end. There is an Irish proverb that goes, you can't give a man a gun until you've taught him how to dance. <laughs> I think, we, I think we could substitute music and singing and music education, all of it. Uh, I think when music becomes the beginning, it opens people up to harmony, as Serge was talking about. It opens us up to a sense of community, and it opens us up to one's wounding and vulnerability. And when you get a youth in touch with vulnerability, one's woundedness, not having to be so strong and steeled over and open them up to how the heart sings, as Rumi says, uh, and Leonard Cohen, sometimes the heart needs to be broken. That's how the light gets in. And that's probably when the singing also commences because something comes crying out so beautifully that links us up to others. And so when technology can facilitate the inclusion of this type of consciousness in its creation of programs that open the heart up to song, to dancing, to humanities, to music, it enables us all to come together more inclusively as we've talked about earlier and more connectedly uh, celebrating each other's differences while still feeling that somehow we are all at its, our deepest level uh, together in this. Thank you, George. It reminds me of the two of the quotes from musicians I read in the beginning. Billy Joel said, musicians want to be the loud voice for so many quiet hearts. Mm -hmm. And Kenny Rogers said, I've always said music should make you laugh, make you cry, and make you think. Mm -hmm. So on that, let me move to Rebecca. We're looking at, let me see where I've got you. Prediction number four, as society as a whole remains polarized and becomes more so, we're not going to get into politics, but we gotcha. Individuals and families will pull back into smaller cultural and social pods in which musicians will play meaningful roles as teachers, shamans or shamans, facilitators and messengers. Rebecca, 90 seconds. That's all we have. Go ahead. I think that was Jess's. That's oh, Jessica's. I'm, I'm Jess sorry. Jess, Jess okay. take it. We're of one mind. Jess, Since take Rebecca, it. Do you I apologize. My quote? Well, it's very similar. The quote that Bonnie had picked for me is, is about the tough-minded versus the tender-minded, right? So the tender-minded are those 
who are going in the direction we're talking about, using music as the social tool for harmony, for integration, for bringing people together like that mycelial infrastructure of the mushroom roots underneath everything. But my fear is that technology has pushed some people, especially during this pandemic, into the rabbit holes of isolation, where they use technology to insulate themselves from the terrors of the world around them. And so the people who go in to the video games or the pornography and would rather have integration with a machine than a real person, this could happen to music, that the technology will become so sublime that you can get off on a song all by yourself and forget importance of this okay can i take it from there yes take it from there thank you ladies that is so awesome but the thing is there is an importance for the intrapsychic connection with music for the individual to use music for self-healing and self-exploration and self-awareness so there's that's okay as long as it's not the only thing that's happening right so and that goes back to what george was just saying but on my quote what i'm talking about is that society's gotten so big and so complex that we have that we're at the danger and beyond the danger point, but into the reality of not being seen by each other. Mm-hmm. And music, we always teach in a circle. Um, we Music allows us to be seen and heard by each other and actually to recognize the commonalities and to unite along the same patterns, the same melodies, unifying on a pitch. It creates a vibrational frequency that heals We all have this thing called the vagus nerve that's going down through the central nervous system, which responds to vibratory sound and music relaxes that and it reduces the cortisol that comes when we're stressed. So we need this experience of group music making to heal ourselves and to work together in community. But when things are so polarized, there's a need to actually create our affinity groups, go where we're safe, create safe space. And within those safe spaces, going to what um, Serge was talking about and George, you guys are talking about intuition, that music is an intuitive act. It becomes intuitive when you're not tied to the page. If you are tied to playing on a page and improvisation is beyond what you feel safe doing, you're constantly in a loop of having to get it right. But moving into improvisation and listening is something that can liberate the soul and we need to do that together. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. George, I can give you 20 of your 30 seconds. We're almost out of time. Go ahead. There is a connection that music opens us to, which I think is beyond the merely us in the world in this time. Angels are always imagined with instruments and singing. I think there's a connection to the ancestors, to our beloveds who have passed on, as well as the the others coming into the world from the future, you could say. Your music box moment makes me feel with, with great heart and conviction that your mom wanted to be part of this conversation because she's informing and shaping your own appreciation of music. Rebecca's father, so much dedicated to music, is still singing through her. Bob Frankie, even though he's still here, he is an ancestor, a founding spirit in your journey, Jess, and now ours. And so he sings his way through. I would also say that with Mrs. Gibson, my beloved music teacher. 30 seconds. Thank you. George, beautiful thought. You squeezed it in. I appreciate that. 
Thank you to, I have to do a special thank you to Vincent James at Keep Music Alive and Dr. George Vinay for introducing me to Rebecca and Jessica, respectively. So lovely to meet you two. And I want to say thank you to my very special guests today, Serge Hoffman, Dr. George Vinay, Rebecca Armstrong, and Jessica Jess Barron. Wonderful speaking with you, learning from you, being inspired from you. You've all touched my heart. And the camaraderie of this panel has been extraordinary. I want to thank Ryan Treasure, our extraordinary engineer today. A get well shout out to Aaron Keller, who wasn't feeling well today. We let him take the day off. Panelists, I want you to wag your finger right now. I want you to do this because we're still talking to, to Facebook and LinkedIn. And if somebody tells you, Come on, Serge, wear that finger. If somebody tells you the future is already here, you say, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. It's not here. And we're all going to do our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Be well. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.